0: Blue wire. With the first pick in the 2009 NFL Draft, the Detroit Lions select Matthew Stafford. Stafford stepping it up. Going left side. Watch Calvin. got him. Oh, baby, that was a rocket. And it's picked off. Intercepted by Darius Slade. No one will catch him. Touchdown. Hello and welcome to episode 71 of the Michael Rothstein Show. I'm your host, as always, Michael Rothstein. This episode, as always, is brought to you by Bet Online. Go check them out. Sports are coming back, which means that you can wager on them. Go to Bet Online, use the promo code Blue Wire, check it out, get a welcome bonus, and it'll be fun for you as golf is back now, as of this weekend, and more sports are coming back here. And there. So it's obviously summer right now. Not much going on with the Detroit Lions. Let's just be honest there. Check out ESPN.com this week. You'll see that uh, we have the all decade team coming up and I made my pick for the Detroit Lions player of the decade. And honestly, it was a difficult call. More than I thought. I actually Weighed on it, labored on it for a little bit, because you have to weigh longevity versus superstardom. And you have to weigh maybe some accolades, some records here and there. And really, to me, there were four players that would be in consideration for the player of the decade, for the Detroit Lions. Uh, that would be Darius Slay, Indomitian Sioux, Matthew Stafford, and Calvin Johnson. Of the four, I probably eliminated Indomican Sioux first. Not because he wasn't dominant while he was with the Lions. He absolutely was. It was probably the best stretch of his career. But he had the shortest tenure of those four with Detroit. And while he played well, I don't know if he had quite the impact as the other three guys did. Although, don't get me wrong by any stretch of the imagination. The best defense I've seen with the Detroit Lions in my eight years covering them was with the Dominican Sue in the middle in 2014. And if you talk to anybody who was on that team, they would agree that Ndamukong Sue made that defense go. Then after that, I eliminated Darius Slay. Again, Darius Slay, great player for the Lions, Pro Bowl player for the Lions, became one of the top cornerbacks in the NFL. And it was a tough call because I think that if you look at it from a couple of different angles, you can make an argument that Darius Slay was maybe the player of the decade for Detroit because he was with them from 2013 up until really the end of the decade when the Lions traded him to Philly in March. And he's a guy that consistently gave the Lions a lockdown cornerback and he made a difference in the defense. He was their best defensive player the last few years. One could argue he might have been their best player overall the last three years So you can absolutely make an argument for Darius Slay being the player of the decade for the Lions. But I didn't go that direction. So who does that leave? That leaves Matthew Stafford and Calvin Johnson. And to me, this was a really difficult decision. And here's why. Because Calvin Johnson only played half of the decade. He was fantastic throughout that half decade he was the best receiver in the NFL he set records he became impossible to stop but he only played for half of a decade then you look at Matthew Stafford and Matthew Stafford has still has played the entire decade for the Lions and then not only that if you consider it if you think about it he's been the starter the whole decade he's been the best quarterback in Detroit Lions history. He's set NFL records. He's set NFL benchmarks. He's been consistent and he has been by far the best offensive player for the Lions since Calvin Johnson retired. And I would argue he's played a lot better since Calvin Johnson retired. So who do you go with? At the end, I went with Calvin Johnson and the reason was that excellence trumped longevity for me and while matthew stafford has been very very good calvin johnson was arguably the best player at his position he set a single season receiving record which still exists to this day and you could throw a double team on him you can throw a triple team on him at some cases and You still couldn't stop him. I mean, think of how many photos are out there of him jumping up and grabbing a ball between three defenders. And he was a complete difference maker in the game. If you only guarded him with one cornerback, you saw what he could do. He could put up 300 yards in a game, which, oh, yeah, he did against the Dallas Cowboys in 2013 when they really only put Brandon Carr on him for the whole game. And, boy, was that a mistake. So you look at it, and to me, at the end of the day, I I thought about it long and hard. But Calvin Johnson, to me, trumps Matthew Stafford as the Detroit Lions player of the decade, and I'd be curious what your thoughts are, because I can make the argument for both players, and I sat there, actually had things written out for both players, because I was really a little bit torn on it, but at the end of the day, Calvin Johnson, to me, made the most sense. He, of all the Lions that have played for Detroit from 2010 to 2019, other than Dwight Freeney, but Dwight Freeney was here at the very tail end of his career. Literally did not record a statistic. Calvin Johnson's the most surefire Hall of Fame player of any of those guys. Matthew Stafford may get there. It's entirely possible. Heck, if Darius Slay puts up a few more Pro Bowl appearances, he might even get a conversation piece at some point. I don't know if he would get in or not. But Calvin Johnson, to me, Hall of Fame player and that at the end of the day was the tiebreaker for me of Longevity versus excellence, even though Matthew Stafford's been very good. So Calvin Johnson, to me, the Detroit Lions player of the decade. We'll be back right after this break with some mailbag questions as we do a little bit shorter podcast today, and uh, we'll be back with a different type of podcast again on Thursday. So come on back right after this break. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports slowly are making their way back, and Bet Online is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they've simulated NFL, NBA, UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit BetOnline.ag and use promo code BlueWire for a free welcome bonus. That's one word bluewire. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Now, back to our show. So we'll start off on mailbag with Jeremy Friedrichs, who's at Friedrich JK. He asks, why do you think Jesse James struggled so much last year? What does he need to do to turn it around? Thanks! Exclamation point. I mean, Jesse James struggled last year for a multitude of reasons. First, the second half of the season, I don't think you can really put that on anybody because Detroit's quarterback situation was bad. Everybody understands that. Everybody knows that. Everybody's numbers dropped except for even maybe Kenny Galladay. And even though TJ Hawkinson got hurt and Jesse James maybe had a bigger role, it just wasn't going to happen in the second half of the season with David Blau as your starting quarterback and Jeff Driscoll as your starting quarterback. That that's a detriment, even though you would think maybe the tight end would get more work in that situation because they would go for short passes or happy passes type scenario but they just never really did that we can't explain exactly why he struggled so much other than they maybe just weren't using him as you thought they might which when they signed him for the money they signed him before you thought he was going to be the number one tight end which made sense until they drafted tj hawkinson at number eight now you can argue that they targeted tj hawkinson all along so why give jesse james that type of money well if you look at the new england patriots offense if you look at what Daryl bevel had done in the past there had been times where they had used two tight ends successfully and that seemed to be what they were building toward with hawkinson and jesse james and maybe even logan thomas but it just never materialized for jesse james it just for whatever reason things just didn't seem to click it never made much sense to me James, from an offensive perspective as far as pass catching goes, was fairly invisib- invisible for most of the season. And he, listen, he was a little bit be- better of a blocker than Hawkinson. It seemed like he was used more in that role, so those statistics aren't going to show up. But make no mistake about it, Jesse James had a disappointing 2019 season. And listen, I, I think he'll be on the roster in 2020, but. I don't know if it's a hundred percent lock, although it probably is just because of the COVID situation and the Lions did invest a good amount of money in him when they signed him last year, so it will be a tough move to get rid of him after signing him to a four year twenty five million dollar contract last year, but I mean he just he, listen, he played 46% of the snaps. Sure he started 11 games, but he just didn't he didn't produce at all. I mean, consider this, right? He had 16 catches for 142 yards. That was 8.9 yards per reception. Not terrible for a tight end. He didn't catch a touchdown. He averaged one reception a game. He averaged 8.9 yards a game. He only caught 59.3% of the passes thrown to him, which is the lowest of his career. And he had 5.3 yards per target, which is the lowest since his rookie year in 2015 in Pittsburgh. So you look at that and you say, "Eh, he just didn't produce at all. I, listen, half of his catches went for first downs, but, eh, you know, he just didn't produce. It's going to be interesting to see what happens there. I think he's on the roster, but I also think he's a guy that Really, if he doesn't produce early in the 2020 season, could get eclipsed by maybe Isaac Nada or maybe Hunter Bryant if the Lions end up keeping him. If they showed like they can produce more, he's not going to beat TJ Hawkinson out for the number one tight end spot. That's going to be Hawkinson's, but they need more from him. Uh, As far as what he needs to do to turn it around, I think he just needs to be more productive, probably needs to be a little bit better in the route tree. And It'll be interesting to see how the Lions choose to use him this year because I think they're going to try to run the ball more. So maybe he stays in more. I I don't know. It's going to be an interesting situation. But, yeah, Jesse James was a massive disappointment for Detroit so far in his contract. Cole, who's at Cole one asks... If you could change one thing about the Detroit Lions to make them closer to being a perennial Super Bowl contender, what would it be and why? Ownership, GM, coach, quarterback, style of play on offense, style of play on defense, staying the course is not an option, obviously. Cole, it's it's a fair question, and I don't know the answer. I, I can't sit here and tell you I definitively know because they've tried everything, and—, and at least with this current ownership regime of Martha Ford and Sheila Ford-Hamp, I do believe that they're trying to win and they're trying to figure everything out. But it just hasn't worked so far for them. And really, listen, they've only had one shot at it as far as a a head coach, general manager combination with Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia. And we'll see what kind of happens after this season. I'm not sure exactly what would make them a perennial Super Bowl contender. I, because the way this roster is constructed right now, it's built very much in Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia's vision with players that Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia need that maybe wouldn't fit in other systems. So you kind of almost have to roll with it, at least for this season, and see what happens. And if you're a Lions fan, you hope that there is progress. I don't think changing the quarterback is necessarily going to make them closer to being a perennial Super Bowl contender because I don't think this is Matthew Stafford's fault. Uh, I think you look at the talent that's been around him for the majority of his career. Sure, we talked about Calvin Johnson at the top of the podcast. And he had Nate Burleson, but it was tail end of his career, Nate Burleson. And really, he hasn't always had good talent around him. This is probably the best stable of running backs he's had Other than that 2013 part of 2014 when they had Reggie Bush and Dwight Bell. Receiver-wise, this group's pretty good. So I would say offensively, he's got the most talent around him that he's had. We'll see what happens with the offensive line. But the offense should be very good. So therefore, you look at the defense now. And the defense needs to take steps. And if the defense can take steps this year, I think this team can be a good team. Do I think that they're a Super Bowl contender this year? No, I don't. Do I think that they're a contender for the playoffs if the defense can get their act together? Yeah, I think that they can be, especially with an extra wild card spot. So no, I don't think staying course, staying the course, quote unquote, is an option, but I'm curious to see what happens here this season with the Lions. If they show progress, I think actually staying the course might be reasonable because the only thing you get from constant change is upheaval and rebuilding and let's be honest if the Lions get rid of Bob Quinn and Matt Patricia it's going to be a rebuild at this point and possibly a complete implosion and overhaul of what they're doing some people would say that that's good and listen if they don't win this year I'm among those people that I think that that absolutely needs to happen but that's not going to happen this year so you kind of see what happens and see how this plays out. If all of a sudden they show that they end up being a 9-win, 10-win team, which I don't know if that happens or not. Some of that's going to be due to health. And they make the playoffs and say they win a playoff game, which hasn't happened in, what, almost three decades here. Then I think you, honestly, you roll with it and you see if they can build on it. Because I think back in sure, college football is different thing in the NFL. There's no doubt about it. But I think back to some college programs when they were building. And this was back in the day, but they stuck with their head coach. And that includes Virginia Tech with Frank Beamer, who struggled early on. And... It ended up working out because you let the coach and the GM work out and and figure it out. Now, the flip side of that, of course, is that if you don't think that these are your guys that can get it done, you get rid of them, which is kind of the argument for getting rid of Jim Caldwell a couple of years ago, is that they felt that Jim Caldwell couldn't take them to that next step of being a perennial playoff team, a perennial Super Bowl contender. Bob Quinn hired Matt Patricia to do that and really stuck his neck out to make that happen. So... I know this is kind of ducking the answer a little bit, but it's because I don't think that there is one because I don't think it's a one snap your finger thing and and make that change. I know that that's a cop-out, but I just don't believe that that's the case. I think right now you need to make a decision after the 2020 season based off of what you see of whether you're willing to blow it all up and, and start over again. And maybe that means with a new quarterback as well, or... Do you stick with what you saw on the field? And that's going to be what it's going to be. There's not much that can change right now for 2020. But going forward, that's going to be the big decision that comes after the 2020 season. And it's going to be all based on what happens in this season. Now, of course, who knows what's going to happen with COVID. So what happens if, say, you get half a season and the Lions are chilling at 500 and then they need to shut things down because COVID comes back? Or let's say it's they're playing real well and then covid happens and you have to take a couple week break because there's a shutdown and then it comes back and and things just you know or let's just say things are going well and and the offensive line gets covid let's just say that right like obviously you don't know any of the scenarios that could come into play and what could be a very strange nfl season how much does that come into play to whether bob quinn and matt patricia come back in 2021 we just don't know it's going to be impossible to predict that at this point because i think so much of this season is going to be impossible to predict just from a logistics standpoint so all of that said i don't think that there's one thing you can change at this point i just don't i think that everything kind of melds together and the end of the 2020 season is going to be a major inflection point for this franchise uh, as to how they might be over the next five to six years. Alan Perlstein, who's at Al the Lion, asks It seems like it seems that the Lions picked up a number of very good special teams players in free agency this offseason. Considering that we'll have a new inexperienced, inexperienced punter this year, do you think that the Lions special teams will still be improved from last year? Honestly, I don't know. I mean, punter, obviously, a big question mark right now. They've got Aaron Sipos or Jack Fox, who's who are going to be the guys competing for the punter spot. I've long said I think Sipos might win the job. I think the fact that he's has prior pro experience in the Australian Football League, they obviously, is a guy that, that targeted him. I think he's more versatile. That should win the job. You still have Matt Prater, so to me, Matt Prater is one of the most consistent guys in the game. And as long as he's there, they're going to be good, I think. And they're going to be able to be consistent and it's going to work out for them. So I look at that and I say, okay, as long as Matt Prater is there, Dom Muehlbach still there. And we'll see what happens with Dom Muehlbach, how he is this year. I think that It's reasonable to say that their special teams will be as good as they've been in the past. We'll see what happens with punting, though. Sam Martin has had stretches where he was a fantastic punter, and I think he didn't necessarily get all the credit he deserved, but there were also times where he admittedly struggled, and that was in big spots. You know, you think back to his rookie year where he hit a bad punt that really cost the Lions the game against Cincinnati. You think back to that playoff game against Dallas, bad punt which gave the Cowboys a better field position than they would have had otherwise. So I look at that and I say, yeah, you know what? There were some bad spots for Sam Martin, but I think overall he was a good punter. That's going to be tough to replace. And it'll be interesting to see how he does in Denver because I think that the altitude is going to really help him there. But I think their special teams has a chance to be as good, if not better than what it has been in the past depending on what happens with the new punter situation. But as long as they have, that ma- have Matt Prater, I expect their field goal kicking to still be incredibly consistent. DC Waz asks, who do you think are the favorites to make the team as the number four and number five wide receivers? Honestly, at this point, I think it's a complete unknown. Uh, and that is in part because we haven't seen them at all in the spring. I think Quintes Cephas has a good chance of making the roster because he was a draft pick You have right now, Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, Danny Amendola, all in contract years. Marvin Hall, also in a contract year. So I think that Cephas ends up locking up one of those spots. After that, I don't know. Right now, if you asked me to, I have to pick a guy, I'd probably pick Geronimo Allison. Uh, He gives you something on special teams. He has a little bit more experience as a receiver. And listen, Marvin Jones has struggled with injuries in the past. Danny Amendola is entering his mid-30s. So you'll look at those things and you say, okay, you you need a guy that you know you can plug in, and, and Geronimo Allison might be that guy. But listen, Jamal Agnew still wins the returner job. He is more than likely a receiver, but I think they could keep six receivers this year, especially if Agnew, say, wins the returner job. Chris Lacy is a guy that they like, that they've been high on, that can maybe be a fill-in for Galladay or Jones, and, and maybe you're building him to maybe be Marvin Jones's replacement after this year. So he's a guy I would look at as well. To me, it's a really tough call. I think they could sign a ve- another veteran too if they don't love what they see from some of the guys early on in training camp. But right now, if you asked me to put together a 53-man roster, I would probably go with Quintus Cephas and Geronimo Allison as the number four and the number five receivers. And I'm on the fence about Jamal Agnew of whether he would be the sixth receiver. Because if you're moving him to receiver, maybe you're looking at him as the potential replacement for Danny Amendola in the slot. He's a gadget player. He's a guy that could be like J.D. McKissick. Frankly, to me, it could be Jason Huntley and Jamal Agnew, Huntley being the rookie, competing for a roster spot. Both at returner and in that McKissick receiver running back type role. It's going to be an interesting competition to watch. Um, we're going to end this with two questions from all happy teams are alike. His first question, or her first question, I don't know, is, I don't think giving Graham Glasgow $11 million over four years per year over four years makes the team better, but I read how mad some writers were about this and about the guard rotation. Is there as much Michigan rooting going on with that as it feels like? Is it possible Graham simply didn't win the job? Okay, so there's a lot to unpack there. First, I agree that giving Graham Glasgow $11 million a year over per year over four years for the Lions with the way that they believe their roster would be constructed, knowing that they're going to have to give Frank Ragnow a big contract extension at some point here soon, and they're going to have to potentially give Taylor Decker a big contract extension, did not make sense. Yeah, Every team has to make decisions of what, pl- of what positions they feel are more valuable money-wise than others. For the Lions, they look at center and they look at tackle as more valuable than guard when it comes to giving out big contracts. So that was part of it. And I have no problem with that if that's their philosophy. Although I believe that you don't get rid of good players if you can keep them. As far as being mad about it, I wasn't mad about it as much as just saying, why get rid of your good players? Like That, to me, just doesn't make sense. As far as the guard rotation, it just never made sense. Because if you talk to any offensive lineman, you talk to any offensive line coach, they say continuity matters. Chemistry matters when it comes to the offensive line. You want guys who have played together for a long time because they understand each other. And the Lions went completely away from that. They worked in Kenny Wiggins. and no, That's no disrespect to Kenny Wiggins, but why are you working him in? And if you're going to work him in, why not just work him in with Joe Dahl? Because Graham Glasgow is a better player than Joe Dahl. So it, it just never made sense. Now, if you had a rookie that was going to be in that spot, say they had draft, say Jonah J- Jackson. We'll use this as an example. It's available a year earlier. The Lions drafted Jonah Jackson, and you knew you weren't going to re-sign Graham Glasgow, so you wanted to work Jonah Jackson in. Totally understand that. If that is your plan, that makes sense. Kenny Wiggins is a veteran, though. Kenny Wiggins was is older than Graham Glasgow. There was no reason to work him in just to work him in it just never made sense to me why they were doing that and and it didn't make sense to other people as well that i spoke to it just was something that was really weird and matt patricia even admitted that it was kind of unique to them last year but to me that just says why did you do it it didn't make sense graham glasgow was their best interior offensive lineman at guard last year frank raglan now was their best lineman probably period but graham glasgow is a good dependable player you knew what you were getting he wasn't making mistakes he was good against the pass he was good against the run i don't think it is possible that graham glasgow simply didn't win the job he's a better player than kenny wiggins he's a better player than joe Dahl. and nothing to do with michigan rooting i'm not a michigan fan i didn't grow up here i grew up in new york i didn't go to michigan yes i live in ann arbor but that's because i covered michigan for a few years i have no michigan rooting interest at all. I think if you asked anyone at Michigan who was around when I was around, whether I was a fan of Michigan, they would probably tell you, no, not not in the slightest. Uh it had nothing to do with that. It all had to do with logic to me when I was like, why are they doing this? It had nothing to do Graham Glasgow could have gone a cow. And if he's a good player, why are you still doing that? I would have questioned it the same exact way, no matter where Graham Glasgow went to school. It has nothing to do with Michigan or anything else. Um, it's just, it just never made sense to me as somebody who's covered football for, over a, for a decade and a half now and has t- talked to a lot of offensive linemen about this and has seen rotations happen in college and trying to get a gauge on it. It just doesn't make sense why you would do that, especially in the pros. It just never made sense to me. So that's the deal there. Second question, and we'll end it on this from all happy teams are alike. If Matthew Stafford is 100% this year was his injury and losing out, the best thing that could have happened to the Lions. Two more wins has them picking 8th or ninth. I don't know. I mean, probably from a, like, you got an elite defender standpoint. Now, maybe they could have gotten an elite defender at 8 or 9. You look at the guys who went in that spot and, I mean, might have still been able to get Isaiah Simmons, who, I mean linebackers still a massive need for them now, but, and they could have taken Isaiah Simmons at three. And I think that the lions, I, I, that would have made a ton of sense to me. So I look at all of that and I say, you know what? It's entirely possible that they might've still gotten a really good player at eight or nine, but they got Jeff Okuda at three. He's the top cornerback in the draft. He's an automatic plug and play guy. People I've spoken to say he is a potential pro bowler, all pro type of corner. And, I think, yeah, it's a really good thing that the Lions got Jeff Okuda and they played it, you know, they didn't want to lose games necessarily, but you weren't going to make the playoffs. So why not get the higher draft pick? Totally understand that. You don't necessarily want to say that in season because of the message it sends to your players, but it makes total sense to me. They did that. They got the number three pick. They got Jeff Okuda. And now we'll see what happens in 2020. Want to thank you all for listening. As always, I want to thank my producer, David Woodley. want to thank Regents Field, Blue Wire, and Bet Online for sponsoring this podcast and hosting this podcast. Check me out on Twitter and on Instagram at Mike Ralfstein, on Facebook at Michael Ralfstein Journalist. Don't forget to download our podcast. Subscribe to our podcast. Helps us down the road as we continue to bring in new guests and have more shows. We'll be back on Thursday. Check us out.